Hi everyone, welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Nick Rorkraut. And I'm Sophia Simonello. And today we'll be talking about just a little movie that did <laughs> a little well at the box office. We are going back 40 years talking about E.T. And this won't be the only time we'll be talking about Spielberg this year in this Oscar season. His new film, The Fablemans, premiered at TIFF to rave reviews. So I think this is just the beginning for Steven Spielberg this Oscar season once again. But I'm excited to go back and talk about one of his biggest movies ever. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk about E.T. It is a little bit daunting. I think it's many people from our generation's favorite childhood movies. It is actually his highest ranked film on the AFI Top 100. It's number 24, so it's higher than Schindler's List or Jaws or Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's considered an iconic brilliant American film. So I'm excited to dig into the movie and talk about it and our relationships with it. But I was just so excited, I think, to see praise from a lot of critics that I generally agree with that The Fablemans rules, basically. It's just a great film. And I saw that it was called Meandering, which is so exciting for me. It's like slice of life Spielberg, which (laughs) I'm very, very curious about. And yeah, I, I can't wait to see it. And I think Spielberg sometimes like gets a weird reputation with critics or with people who kind of do what we do where they think he's some film bro director. And that is just not the case. He's one of the coolest directors ever. He can really work in any genre. Yeah, I think when you look back at Jaws or E.T. or Indiana Jones, these hyperbolically amazing films that have really changed cinema. You can kind of get an air of that of like, oh, is Spielberg really that good? Like, even 40 years later, like, West Side Story, is it really going to be that good? And here he is, like, still spitting out classic films. Mm -hmm. So going back and revisiting these images that I haven't seen in a long time, you say a lot of kids grew up with this and was their favorite film, something they could connect with or understand really well and I don't remember that being the case I know my first like R-rated movie was The Terminator (laughs) yeah a little bizarre and not even one that I remember fully but I don't remember E.T. being this like classic movie that I rewound my VHS for over and over and over again yeah like weirdly enough it wasn't a rewatchable film for me either I didn't watch it until it would have been the 20th anniversary so like 2002 so I was probably nine years old when I first watched it and I remember there was a lot of marketing for the 20th anniversary I had seen E.T. and this creature everywhere and knew about the movie but for me growing up Raiders of the Lost Ark was the Spielberg movie that I remember like my dad Mm -hmm. really wanted us to see first before E.T. but what's funny about E.T. as well is just that Spielberg really has I think when I grew up, he was one of the first directors I knew by name. And I think it was because he made these movies that were clearly made for adults, but children could still watch them. And he took kids and working with kids very seriously. So a lot of these movies, like Raiders of the Lost Ark, they mentioned like E.T., Jurassic Park. I even saw Jaws Young, which is not a kid's movie at all. I am very aware of that. Those were sort of my first films where I was really exposed to filmmaking as this art form that just makes you feel 
every possible emotion. But since you didn't rewatch it much, I will also add that I hadn't rewatched this movie as an adult. Mm. This was my first time rewatching it since I was a kid. So it was a very strange thing to get back into. I remembered so much of it um, because it is such a classic. But yeah, it was it was really exciting to visit it as an adult. And I, I really, really loved it. I cried very hard at the end. Looking back, my first Spielberg movie was probably Hook. That's something I I can remember watching. Yeah. But as you describe why E.T. is so appealing to so many, one, I think that's why it did so well at the box office, which we'll Mm -hmm. get to. But two, it reminds me of some of those early Pixar movies where they really are for adults and kids. And I think that's why this was such a success and why it's still around and why at 20 years they released a new edition of the movie with Mm -hmm. updated visual effects and they replaced guns for walkie-talkies near the end and now at 40 it's back in theaters in IMAX once again upping that box office return that's crazy and you mentioning the box office so it became the highest grossing film of all time when it was released the record wasn't broken again until Jurassic Park in 93 which fun fact was the number one movie at the box office the day I was born hmm So E.T. made $794.9 million on a $10 million budget, which is nuts, especially Mm -hmm. because so many studio execs told Spielberg that this movie wouldn't make any money at all. Mm -hmm. That whole history from it being at Columbia and them wanting to make a Close Encounters sequel and Spielberg is like, absolutely not. Spielberg had previously worked on Jaws with Universal and they went ahead without him in making a sequel and he didn't want to repeat that. But Columbia also didn't want E.T. because they didn't think it would sell. So Universal bought that property for a million dollars, produced it for 10 million, and then, yeah, just made an incredible amount of money and still to this day holds the record for being number one in theaters for 16 weeks in a row. That's crazy. And I think now like what's happening with Top Gun Maverick at the box office, like it's still just doing really well and you're seeing all of these returns like that just it doesn't happen. A movie like E.T. does not just keep making money and it was in theaters for a whole calendar year. Yeah. Like how, I mean, that I can't even, now it's like, oh, okay, it's been in theaters for two weeks. Let's put it on streaming. <laughs> <laughs> I think the last time we talked about a movie that was doing this was My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Oh, yeah. That did so, that was in theaters forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, and you you mentioned Close Encounters. What another interesting thing about Close Encounters? So he makes that before this, and Spielberg read the reviews for Close Encounters and saw that a lot of people were praising him for making a personal story. And the thing is, is that Close Encounters wasn't really the personal story that a lot of critics thought that it was. So he took that information and is like, okay, you want something else? You want me to make a personal story? I'll make E.T. Mm-hmm. So it really ended up working out, I think, in his favor that he did that. Reading reviews can't always be great, but here I think it did benefit him. And that's not something I knew when I was watching the movie because it does get pretty personal very quickly. And I think understanding the background of this like made me enjoy it or appreciate it more so 
a little bit more. Like very early on in the movie, I think he's at the table and he like blurts out that his dad is in Mexico and his mom Mm -hmm. just like leaves the room in tears. Yeah. And like, you know, something there is going on. But, you know, this movie was based on him having divorced parents and going through that. And I think making a friend or meeting this alien and befriending him and having this special connection with somebody was like a very touching way to describe what he was going through and get that across not only to kids, but to adults who were going through the same thing. Oh, yeah. And that scene, I think, is the most important scene, actually, to understand the goal of the film itself and the core of the story. We are jumping very far ahead, jumping around, which is, I feel like, what we do when we like a movie. But (laughs) description here, I feel like everyone knows E.T., but it's about a troubled child who summons the courage to help a friendly alien escape from Earth and return to his home planet. As we mentioned before, it was directed by Steven Spielberg. It stars Henry Thomas, Drew Barrymore, a very young, adorable Drew Barrymore, Mm -hmm. who I love seeing in this movie. Um, Dee Wallace, Peter Coyote, and Robert McNaughton. A little bit about the Oscars. It won four Oscars. Original score for John Williams. Sound effects, editing, sound, and visual effects. And it was nominated for five others. Picture, director, original screenplay, cinematography, and film editing. I think just getting into Spielberg quickly about this movie before we talk about scenes and characters and our favorite moments from the movie. And I think this is such a fascinating film for Spielberg because of where he is in his career at this point and also where his contemporaries are. He made Jaws, which was such a smash hit and is considered still to this day to just be one of the greatest American films of all time sort of the inventor of the blockbuster. He makes Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is also one of my favorites, like I mentioned. But in 1982, a lot of the guys that Spielberg was sort of considered a part of, like Coppola or Brian De Palma, these guys are taking what they learned from the new Hollywood in the 70s, and they're pivoting to the 80s. And typically, if you think of a De Palma movie (laughs) or... Even a Coppola movie, like they're incredibly violent. They lean into very adult themes. They have these like clear reference points that are like 1970s American cinema. If you think of De Palma's movies like Blowout or Dress to Kill, he's moving forward, but he still has those clear influences that he had before. Whereas Spielberg is making these movies that are incredibly empathetic, they're soft. They wear their hearts on their sleeves, and it's just Mm -hmm. a cool move for him, I think. And obviously, it paid off, and he works so well in this blended reality and fantastical space and using that Mm -hmm. space to tell his own personal story. But yeah, I just I've always thought that's cool that he did that, and he started to kind of move away from those guys and do his own thing and really figure out, I think, what people wanted, but still making these like stunning, technically beautiful films. When I think of E.T. and Spielberg, I think of him as being a 90s director. And seeing that this was from 1983, like even that kind of throws me off because he is kind of looking back and looking forward and changing the route of cinema that -hmm. it's taking. And the chunk of movies that he makes, starting with Close Encounters in 78, but 
all the way through Saving Private Ryan in 99, I think these movies is why he's so special is because movies today are loud for the sake of shocking audiences. Yeah. And movies like E.T. where, again, just you can't forget how much money this made at the box office. I know. Shots in the movie, like the three kids sitting in the closet, it's a long take of their just wide-eyed glances at E.T. sitting next to their stuffed animals. It's like this made it into the movies at that point, and this is what people were watching. And I feel like today... That doesn't happen. That's an independent production right. company distributor. Mm-hmm. So it's like a Sony Pictures Classics venture. <laughs> <laughs> and how this like young director was able to do that at the time or first see that this is what audiences wanted is just so incredible because it works, it's lasting, and it captures such a special moment in time. And like you mentioned with the budget again and just thinking about movies today. I think about something like, I don't know, that wretched Robert Zemeckis Pinocchio that just came out that is just like uncanny valley horror. I didn't finish it, to be clear. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't want to put myself through that. Oh, God. Or, you know, thinking of that Lion King movie, the remake, whatever, John Favreau Lion Mm -hmm. King. That thing cost $250 million to make. And then you have Little E.T., $10 million. That type of film, like A Lion King, or even one of those Marvel comic book movies or something like that, all of the money in the world, all of the CGI, whatever, cannot even remotely conjure up an emotion in me, like seeing that bicycle ride through the sky across the moon with the john williams (laughs) score i'm sorry that nothing today even comes close they can't even there's no like imagination or creativity i feel like anymore when you're making something for children because i feel like a lot of times with the exception of a few pixar movies i feel like creators don't trust kids to get things like this and they don't trust adults to want to watch something new and original mm. and different like this and thinking that they made it for no money. I don't know. It's very inspiring. I love it. Today, they're looking for simplicity in making movies and like, what's the easiest way, no matter the budget, to get there? And that is CGI. But back then, the special effects artist who won, Carlo Rimbaldi, made E.T. out of latex and these like very intricate systems that... Mm-hmm they unboxed pretty recently and like saw that the 20 some models of et were all disintegrating like they could only save like so many fingers and hands and like the skin would just crumble like a dead flower in your hand if you were to touch it so like they're trying to conserve these masterpieces of you know what they made because he was real spielberg told drew barrymore that E.T. was a real alien. And in the end of the movie, you know, she's crying. Like, that's real because she thought he was real. (laughs) There's one story of how she tried to feed (laughs) (laughs) E.T. And they were so worried that she was going to, like, pour a Coke down E.T.'s throat that they were like, oh, my God, no. (laughs) Like, sweet little six-year-old Drew Barrymore... (laughs) (laughs) is like one of the best parts of this movie. (laughs) 
I love her so much and she's so cute. One of my favorite moments with her is when she's sort of teaching him how to speak. Mm-hmm. It's incredible child acting. Yeah. And it's cool because Spielberg shot this movie sequentially because mm. he wanted the kids to really have these authentic emotions interacting with E.T. So that fear at the beginning, the trepidation, that's all real because they're reacting to E.T. for the first time. And then by the time you get to the ending, it's like they've spent so much time with E.T. and putting themselves into these scenes that it makes sense finally by the end. It's so believable. That emotional climactic moment is so earned. And you have to, I don't know, that he has to be, I think, maybe the greatest director of child performances as well. Because in order for this movie to work at all, I think you have to believe in these children and these child performances. And Drew Barrymore, yes, but Henry Thomas as Elliot is giving a performance that's better than, honestly, many (laughs) adult actors I've seen in movies this year. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The way he interacts with E.T. and expresses emotion, his drunk acting in the classroom, (laughs) phenomenal. (laughs) The frog scene is so great. It's so good. Yeah, so what what are some of your favorite scenes from the movie? I think the big one that comes to mind is near the end, the big climax. It starts when they capture E.T. and Elliot. They take them inside the house, and then E.T. dies. He comes back, and then they save E.T. Because when E.T. wakes up, he says, you know, he's finally going home. And then it's this big chase. Then you get the bikes, and... When that bike lifts off in front of the cops and everyone trying to stop them, like, that's when I cry. Mm -hmm. Because Elliot's there. He's just, he's not looking. He closes his eyes and he's like, oh, crap. Like, this is it. And then Mm -hmm. E.T. brings all of them on the bikes up flying. And yes, you do get some bad, like, green screen, I think, there. But that moment, the swell of the score, like, it's all of these components coming together in like the perfect sequence yeah it's pure like movie magic i guess Mm -hmm. cliche and silly as it sounds that's what it is that's why you go to the movies that's why i love movies so much is because you can have that feeling just from something that's as simple as kids riding their bikes and then it takes you to I don't know, just like my heart always races during that scene, even though I know what's coming. And Mm -hmm. I think it's just, again, so rewarding and so earned because you've spent this time with these kids and with E.T. and you see how much they've come to understand each other, but also how accepting these kids are of him right away. And I think when I think about this movie, that scene you mentioned earlier and what I think summarizes the movie perfectly is that scene when they're at the kitchen table and their mom says maybe you ought to call your father and tell him about it so we get the intro of the absent father figure which makes you think Mm -hmm. like okay is et this imaginary friend because elliot is sort of he's not he's not fully an outcast he's just kind of beat up on by his brother and their friends he has to go get the pizza he's the one who is sort of just picked on all the time in a way that a little brother would be or is it this absent father figure is that who et is so it sort of introduces that right there that they're looking for this father figure he's not there everything about him being in mexico with sally so there's this other woman he's clearly absent 
But then we get another line from the mom where she says something to the effect of, this isn't a direct quote, this is just in my memory. She says, like, if you ever see it again, tell me and we'll have somebody come and take it away. And that's the whole thing about like how adults in this movie see E.T. and think about this creature. It's not of wonder and curiosity in a positive sense. It's in like, we need to contain this to study it. We don't need to like befriend it, which is just, again, like Spielberg, I think showing the difference between the attitudes of children and adults. And a thing that I love here, this isn't in a particular scene or anything, but it's how so much of the film is shot from like a child's eye point of view. Mm-hmm. Like when you see adults, a lot of times they're from the chest down. You don't see a lot of their faces. You hear them talking, but you, you're you never at their eye line. You're always sort of approaching it as a child would or even as like E.T. would from that height, which mm-hmm. I think is a really cool addition that he makes in this movie. But I have so many favorite scenes in the movie. I think the ending really is just tremendous. Ugh, the bikes lifting off. But E.T. at the beginning, too, like separating from the group of his fellow creatures, his aliens, Mm -hmm. because he's curious and that he has a similar quality to Elliot. So I really like that. I mean, I could go on and on. Him in the closet with the kids, Elliot showing him his toys and just kind of introducing him to his world is just that's the first moment in the movie where I get a little teary eyed. I also like the intro because Spielberg is doing so much and teaching us who these aliens are without using any words. The spaceship lands and we see these multiple ETs waddling around. We don't know why they're here, but then we find Mm -hmm. out, you know, one reaching down for a plant. And then we hear these other humans coming. They scramble and leave E.T. behind. And that's how we get this story. And it's told so simply, so beautifully. And now we understand like what the story is going to be. My other favorite moment is when like E.T. is starting to learn like what human culture is. And Elliot's there and Gertie's there. They're trying to teach him and, you know, showing him what things are, what you eat, what money is. And... I especially love when the mom is there and she's so distracted with the groceries uh-huh. and E.T. is right there in front of her, but she doesn't see him because of how <laughs> they like block the scene too, which is just so cool. I love how he's like drunkenly waddling around like mm-hmm. past her and she can't notice him after his several cores lights. The product placement in this movie is out of control <laughs> as well, <laughs> which I feel like is very, very 80s. I don't know if you could get away with all of that now, but yeah, I love how they block that scene too. And it's, it's so funny. I think a lot of the comedy in this movie works very well too. It's not just mm-hmm. this action adventure film or a drama. It has moments where I was laughing out loud. There's a shot of little Drew Barrymore in the closet and you just hear her scream and then you mm-hmm. see E.T. from the side kind of like waddle up with his arms out toward her. Oh my God, it was so funny. <laughs> Back to the product placement, because this is just a cool fact, was they really wanted M&Ms. I always wondered about this. And I don't know why they didn't make it in, but they ended up using Reese's Pieces and like their stock grew like 60% from this movie. Basically, Mars, the company that has M&Ms, thought that kids would be scared of E.T. So they said no to oh M&Ms gosh. being in the movie. 
But Hershey's was like, go for it. Go ahead. (laughs) I didn't even know Reese's Pieces were a thing back then. Yeah. I exclusively associate them with this movie. Like, if I ever see that someone's eating Reese's Pieces or they're around, like, at a movie theater or something, I I always think of E.T. (laughs) They are good, though, but I prefer M&M's. I mean, I totally will now, now that I can see, because I saw the colors and I was like, are those Reese's Pieces? Like, Those are weird (laughs) (laughs) M&M's. They're not Skittles. And then one other funny thing that I really loved, my favorite quote, the only quote I wrote down was from that kitchen table scene and Elliot's brother was picking on him and he like retorts. It was nothing like that penis breath. And the mom (laughs) just like dies laughing. (laughs) I was like, I need to use this more often. You should, yeah, definitely put it in your quip arsenal. Um, What's so funny about that moment, too, is that I feel like that has to be, like, the funniest part of having kids is when they say something so ridiculous like that Mm -hmm. and you just try not to laugh because you don't want them talking like that (laughs) in school or something. But how do you not laugh to something that good? Yeah. (laughs) And that moment, you know, when she goes, Elliot reminded me of the mom from a christmas story and i like couldn't place her for the longest time oh my god they're not the same person unfortunately Ralphie. <laughs> yes <laughs> and they look similar but yeah similar moments a christmas story i always wonder if that movie is just like an ohio thing for us or if people really do like it <laughs> Well, I saw that there is like a Christmas special in post-production right now because I was searching IMDb for this movie when I (laughs) saw (laughs) E.T. I mean, it would be a thing for Spielberg to direct it, being an Ohio boy. Mm -hmm. I know. I'm sort of sad that the Fablemans will mostly take place in Arizona because that's where most of his childhood was. But we always need to remind people that he's born in Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. So he's an Ohioan. I also really love, and this is just another subtle thing I picked up on this time, when E.T. is dying, so Spielberg brings in real doctors from UCLA to help with this scene because he didn't know if like actual actors would be able to deliver this like medical speak in a way that made sense or felt authentic. And when you hear them talking and just throwing out these medical terms, I really feel like I'm a kid in that scene. Because I don't understand a word that they're saying. Like, Mm -hmm. none of these medical terms make sense. But also the sound effects and the sound design in that scene. It reminded me of, like, an Altman movie where it's a lot of crosstalk. And you can't really... You have a hard time picking up on what one person is saying. Because they're speaking the way that people would Mm -hmm. in a situation like that. But it makes you feel like Elliot. It makes you feel like a kid. And, like, you're so out of place and scared because you don't know what they're saying. You don't know what any of this means and how it's going to turn out. So I thought that was a nice little touch that he put in there as well that I think is something, again, like, if you're an adult watching this movie, you can really pick up on. And as a kid, you're not going to understand what they're saying, obviously, in that. And the emotion is there for both groups. Yeah, that was a moment that I connected with because I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why are we treating E.T. like a human? Yeah. the CPR and like the oh my god exactly like yeah. he could have more hearts or you know just function differently and I was like whoa but because they were real doctors like that was very cool mm-hmm. I also love that the doctor in you is like E.T. might have different organs I didn't even think about that <laughs> <laughs> I was like just save him 
Well, that was also the cool thing is when I saw pictures of them coming back to these ET bodies, like the sternum was basically removed or disintegrated. And you could see like actual lungs of what they had created inside the body. And even though like some of these scenes, they had like small people acting as ET. Like I think under the bed sheet, it wasn't actually ET in the moment, but the design of everything was just so intricate. And I think Carlo definitely deserved visual effects here, even though they Mm -hmm. did end up, you know, like redesigning a little bit or touching it up in that special re-release. I think even the original still works. And that's what Spielberg tells people to watch. Like if they're going to watch one of the two versions, he says, go back to the original. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, the creature design is amazing. You also mentioned Halloween, which I forgot to bring up as one of my favorites. I love when they take E.T. out for the first time Mm -hmm. (laughs) in that little ghost costume. Oh, my God. It's so good. And I love, of course, when he encounters Yoda Yoda. and they have their little Mm -hmm. moment. It's so good. A little nod to Lucas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like so many things today, too, have taken from E.T. Like Stranger Things, which is so popular on Mm -hmm. Netflix. I mean, Stranger Things does not exist even remotely without the choices that Spielberg made here with E.T. And I thought of that specifically with this Halloween scene. Mm -hmm. So getting into the Oscars a little bit more, we're touching on like categories that the movie won for, but the year itself, 1982, it's up for Best Picture. Gandhi wins, the other nominees being Missing, Tootsie, and The Verdict. But Gandhi and Richard Attenborough take both prizes. How do you feel about this? Should this been a split year? Should it have just gone to E.T. and Spielberg? I This is a weird year to me. I mean, Richard Attenborough himself even said that Spielberg should have won because of the phenomenon E.T. was and how mm-hmm. it was embraced also just by critics and by audiences. Everyone loved E.T. and it was a moment. I will throw in, like, Tootsie is also a really interesting choice from this year. Um, and I also love the verdict. I would have given E.T. picture over Gandhi being able to look back on it now and seeing just the fact that E.T. is considered one of the greatest American films of all time and just having the ability to reward it here. I definitely would have given director to Spielberg for sure. If I look at the other nominees, I mean, I love Sidney Lumet, Sidney Pollack, Wolfgang Peterson for Das Boot. It's a little pivot from the picture five. Yeah, Spielberg has the edge for me. Being able to put together such a simple but poignant and meaningful story to direct these children to make something so original you deserve the win in my book Mm -hmm. it takes him another decade before he wins his first it took him a while for the oscars to really warm up to him and then the next time with the color purple i mean that gets so many oscar nominations but he gets blanked and director he doesn't get a nomination yeah, I think because it takes him so long to actually win for Schindler's List that he could have gotten at least director here. The funny thing here is that Columbia distributed Gandhi and that's who lost out on E.T. So it's kind of like a little mm. kick in the butt for them. I take the box office and the title <laughs> over Best Picture. <laughs> I mean, E.T. is definitely a more memorable movie. I don't know why I keep thinking Scorsese made Gandhi, but... Oh my God. i'm sure you would have liked to tackle that actually he loves his epics but i i think the wins here i mean specifically i really want to talk about john williams briefly because this score oh my god i mean he's john williams has made so many beautiful scores over the years 
Most of the ones that I really love are from Spielberg films. But this, for me, I think would be on my Mount Rushmore of William scores. Especially near the end. Like, it is so beautiful and just Mm -hmm. takes my breath away every time. So I'm so happy he won for this. He should have many more wins, even maybe. But it made me more excited, too, to hear his score for The Fablemans and what that'll sound like. Mm -hmm. The Fablemans will be their 29th movie together, their collaboration. Crazy. And... Yeah, John Williams winning here was his third movie with Spielberg, but I absolutely love it. That final scene I mentioned where the score swells, it's just Mm -hmm. such a special moment. And in no way is the shot like perfect or like super iconic when you think of E.T., but the emotions you feel just compound because of the score being there. And I think that's when you know this is really something special. There are videos between Williams and Spielberg from their process in pre-production and in production. And it is so cool to watch just seeing John Williams on the piano playing this. And they're trying to figure out like at what exact moment should this note hit? And then like Spielberg jokes, it's like, okay, when is it going to go up? And he's like, don't worry, I'm saving that for the very end. So I'm definitely going to look for more of these videos, but This is by far the shining element of this movie is the score. John Williams had done it before with Spielberg. He would do it again. And I can remember like going into at Universal Studios, the E.T. ride and just like hearing it on a loop and (laughs) getting on that bike. And like it's just there's uh, a ride with a bike. Oh, my. You haven't been there. No, I haven't been to any oh. of these theme parks. This is just always a recurring <laughs> thing. Like, I've never been to Disney. I've never been to Harry Potter World or Universal or any of these places. Uh, oh, my God. I, like, really want to go back. I think now we have to. Oh, my <laughs> just God. Just for ET. Yeah, I would love to. I mean, I probably had been on that ride before I saw the movie when I was, like, a little kid. Oh, now I need to go. I just want to do the <laughs> E.T. ride. <laughs> It's still there. Okay, I just did a little quick Google. <laughs> it is still standing mm-hmm. at Universal. So I will, get your next time I venture e. to Florida, I'm going to go. <laughs> Amazing. So do you think anything was snubbed? Yeah, I do actually. I'm going to be bold here and say that Henry Thomas was snubbed. I think they could have maybe frauded him in supporting for <laughs> playing Elliot. But he is a great child performance. If you think of the child performances that have been nominated over the years, I feel like he's just as good, if not better, than some of the kids who have gained awards traction. I'm not going to be mean and name them by name because they're children. (laughs) But I think that he would fit in just fine. Yeah, I would say Henry Thomas for sure. He has to be in lead, though. Okay, he could be in lead. Fine. That's okay. I'll take it. I don't need to fraud him. But they totally would have frauded him in the 80s. He would have run in supporting. Even Timothy Hutton in Ordinary People was supporting. (laughs) Oh, my God. And that is his movie entirely. So I feel like, especially with who's in lead that year, Ben Kingsley, Dustin Hoffman, Jack Lemmon, Paul Newman, and Peter O'Toole, there was no way he was getting in. That's a murderer's row. (laughs) Like, there's just no way. (laughs) Supporting, though, we have a little more room. So... Yeah, his audition tape, which you can also find just unparalleled, like the fact that this kid is crying on command, ad-libbing this audition is insane. 
you see tears just falling from his face, like pleading for E.T.'s life with this government agent. Like, holy crap. Yeah. I'm telling you, he deserves. I do like that. <laughs> but he has to be in lead, and that's not happening, which is, yeah, it's sad. Fine. Um, otherwise, it got nine nominations. It gets in in all of the big tech and the bigger categories. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty happy with how all of that happened. I mean, even editing. It's a pretty big haul. Yeah. So I'm happy with all of those. And then how do you think today's Academy would receive this movie? I think one problem today is that it wouldn't have nearly as big of a box office return. And I think today that's the issue with getting in. I mean, even talking about Top Gun Maverick, like, I think that's the one thing that could get it in is that it's so popular and successful. That being said, like, I don't think it does as well at the Oscars. I don't think it gets in a picture, director, maybe a few nominations, maybe a win or two in some of those texts. But also today, like someone who's going to actually make E.T., super rare. It's it's interesting because I see it kind of going two ways. Like you could have a similar response sort of to Dune where it's just this tech player because it's a genre film. People don't embrace it like they see it as just a sci-fi movie or action adventure film. So they're, they just want to give it text. They don't want to put it in acting categories, anything like that. I could see it going that way. But there is just something about it that's just so moving and emotional that I feel like the Academy would have a hard time rejecting that. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, this movie wouldn't premiere, I think, on the right platform to even try to make some of this money that it earned in 1982. It would be on Disney+. Plus. Like, that's awful, but... I feel like that's what would happen. Or Netflix, which just makes me so sad. And I'm so glad that this came out in 1982. The fact that this movie opened at the Cannes Film Festival and people raved about it. Like they couldn't stop talking about it. And it was at their closing gala. There's just no, there's no kids movie, if you want to call it that, doing that. Yeah. And if it is, it's animated, right? Like an Inside Out or something will come along. Mm -hmm. Soul. Yeah, so I think this movie achieved so many special things along its release and since then and even 40 years later, it is just kind of unparalleled. I mean, it has been surpassed, obviously, but I think it stands up there holding its weight for sure. And if you could give this movie one Oscar, what would it be? It is absolutely John Williams for the score. Easy to return to. You can put it on, just have it play. Like You can not only like feel the happiness and the emotion and how they wanted to turn from thoughtful to tearful like so quickly I mean it's so smart it's iconic you hear five notes and you're you know what you're listening to it's amazing what would you give it I have the same answer I would give John Williams an Oscar for the score here Spielberg loves this score so much too and he offered to recut the end of the movie right to Mm -hmm. fit John Williams score like that's Mm -hmm. how much he loved this score and how seriously he took it and I feel like everything about this movie elicits an emotion and while most of that is due to the direction or the performances or the creature design the cinematography VFX so many things coming together perfectly the score really is I think what kicks it up a notch and why it's in the top 25 of AFI and on so many of these lists and is so well remembered and 
beloved by audiences everywhere still to this day. So I totally recommend seeing E.T. again. If it's been 40 years, if it's been five years, go see it again. It's still out in some theaters playing in IMAX, which I think would be incredible to see, especially... Mm-hmm. It was shot originally on 35 millimeter with Dolby. So like having it in this format today, I think would be really special. I agree. I really can't recommend this movie enough. And if you can't get to the theater, you can rent it too. It's on VOD, but definitely make sure you watch it. And next time on Oscar Wilde, we have a special episode. Nick is going to tell us all of his Venice stories from the Venice Film Festival. And we'll talk about TIFF and Telluride and how festival season is shaping up and how these movies are doing um, at these festivals, how they're being received, and then some things that we're excited to see too. But I cannot wait to hear about (laughs) Venice and the movies that you saw there. I know you and Bennett have been filling me in a little bit, but I can't (laughs) wait to hear it in pod format. (laughs) Like sending you voice notes immediately after screening is just The voice memos. (laughs) Maybe maybe those will come on air, <laughs> too. They they really should. My favorite one that we definitely need to put in is Sophia, and then just <laughs> laughing, half a star. <laughs> I think that was the most shocking thing was, like, it was such a rush of a few days just constantly being in movies, but having such stark reactions that you kind of wonder about when you see all of the festival releases like you're waiting on Twitter waiting for the embargo to be released so you see all these reviews coming through and like actually being there I know you've been at Cannes too so you know what that feeling is but a lot of movies being divisive and I was on one side of that a lot of the time and you're surrounded by like a thousand other people also going through that seeing these premieres so yeah we'll get into all of it we'll talk about the movies we saw Quite a few that probably won't even make it to a release in the U.S., but I think other movies that we should talk about and that hopefully will, at least on streaming, which I think a lot of them will. But Mm. I'm excited. All of this festival season, all this talk from premieres, I'm excited. And then in a couple of weeks, we have New York Film Festival as well. So, Oh, my God. I can't wait. I'm so excited (laughs) to see these movies. Oh, there's so many. I was Mm -hmm. making my list today and just looking at it. I just was giddy thinking about Mm -hmm. all the new movies to see. Yes. Can't wait. Thank you all for listening. Feel free to rate, review, and subscribe. You can find us on socials at Oscar Wilde Pod. And also feel free to check out our Patreon. You can hear our episodes early. You get extra content. We'll be putting the award season fantasy draft, the video up there very soon as well. Also, our series on Benefer and their films will have new episodes coming soon for that. You can find this at patreon.com slash Oscar Wilde. Thank you all so much for listening and we'll see you next time.